Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Priesthood Dispatches. He's a man. (laughs) It's awesome, funny, random, doesn't make any sense, but it's good. Hey everyone, welcome back to the channel and what a treat we have for you tonight. Uh, being a Jehovah's Witness in Mormon land. Uh, Ryan Lugo is going to be with us tonight for the after dinner chat number 26. And we're going to speak to him about what it was like to be raised as a Jehovah's Witness in northern Utah, which, as you can probably imagine, um, was probably quite a hostile, uh, you know, existence there uh, amongst all of these Mormons. But let's bring Ryan in now. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? Hi, thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, yeah, thanks for being here all the way from Utah, where you are now. And uh, for all the Mormons out there, Ryan has shaved his horns that Jehovah's Witnesses grow. And he, they, you probably say the same about Mormons, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we always talked about them all the time, even from door to door, in between doors. We would talk about them like, oh, they're wrong about this. They're wrong about that. Yeah, or we would laugh about some things too. Well, yeah, I've seen some of the um, the articles that you sent me that I've been reading, and they definitely think we're wrong. So, and I think we're wrong as well. So it's okay. Yeah, and I feel bad for having that type of thinking. You know, looking back, you know what? And to think that I was just right or more righteous than them, or (laughs) something like that. Yeah, we all lived in our own ivory tower. Uh, before we actually, you know, came down to earth and realized that it's all interesting. It's all interesting. But we're going to talk about you tonight. You are our second non-Mormon guest, or third, I should say. Um, Earlier last month, we had JT and Lady C, who uh, were from New York area and had served at Bethel and done all of that stuff and been leaders and Jehovah's Witnesses and then left and they do the critical thinking Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, And then you contacted me after that and wanted to tell your story. And just the fact that you have survived in Utah, that some kid in a Ford 350 on his way to Young Men's hasn't like seen that you were a Jehovah's Witness and gone and like blood atoned you and sent you to the afterlife, I think is success indeed. (laughs) I mean, I don't, I could just say I'm just used to it. I don't know any other. I can't imagine. Anyway, um, I wanted to ask you about this thumbnail that I did, right? So I had a couple of comments about the flag that I used behind. Um, So as far as I'm aware here in the UK, I use this flag because the other seal for Utah is really complex. It's like the blue one with the little seal in the middle. Um, and it's, it's just really, it's not very clear, but I saw this one Hmm. and I read on Wikipedia that this was, um, it was like a 2021, um, commemorative flag for 125 years of statehood or something like that. Have you seen the flag before? You know, I, I went to school, I went to Utah history class, but to be honest, um, I have never seen it before. Oh, okay. Well, that's the 2021 commemorative flag for Utah. Oh, okay. It's, an, it's a new wa- flag? Yeah, they wanted to make it the state flag, but it's very Mormon-centric because it's got the beehive, which is a, a Mormon uh, symbol for like worker bees and, and stuff. I didn't realize that. I just thought, you know, we had bees here, we had honeys, honey ears. <laughs> there you I didn't go. know why it was the beehive state. There you and go. I live here. Well, it's been adopted apparently by the Desnats. Um, and I'm assuming you've not heard of the Desnats either. Um, no. The Des- Desnats are a group of kind of radical Mormons who call themselves the Deseret Nation. And they're kind of like Mormon Nazis. And yeah, they, they're the guys that say, oh, I believe in our church, or oh, they're the guys who would be driving the F-350. You know, believe in our church, or we're gonna we're gonna take you out. So, so yeah, I'm actually surprised. 
I'm actually surprised at how many um, Mormon sects there are or like groups or cults or whatever you want to call them. Dude, there's um, so many. <laughs> like over 500. Um, I don't know if you saw it. We did an interview with a guy called Steve Shields who used to be a Mormon and he wrote a book on it. It's an encyclopedia um, of the Smith Rigdon movement. And yeah, they're like, there are over 500 different ones that have either started and ended or, you know, through, through time since the beginning in 1830. And it's nuts. But we're here to talk about Jehovah's Witnesses. Are there different sects within Jehovah's Witnesses? Uh, well, I mean, if you ask any Jehovah's Witness, or if you ask, if you probably look in the Watchtower Wake magazine that the Jehovah's Witnesses have, it'll probably say no, you know, we're united and there are no other groups or divisions. Uh, but in reality, like just in doing my research, I found out there are Jehovah's Witness groups throughout the world. Like probably the biggest one that I know of is in, let's see, it's in, what country is it? Um, the so it was the Soviet Union. What was that? Yeah, um, yeah, like the U.S. Nearby there. Okay. Yeah, nearby there. So like Russia way. Yeah, or was it there? No, it was um, it was another country right by there. Okay. But because no. of the the war and everything, they stopped getting their spiritual food or their magazines because they weren't even allowed to distribute the literature, you know, with all the, the war going on and everything. And so, so much time passed that um, they pretty much became their own group. And okay. then when, after the war finished and everything, um, JW leadership tried to reconnect with them because they were our lost brothers and they pretty much rejected them. <laughs> Because wow. I guess there had been so many changes in the Jehovah's Witness religion that they thought they weren't even, that yeah. they had like become corrupt or something. Yeah. And yeah. so they thought they were the original JW religion and, or actually Bible students. Oh no, it was Jehovah's Witness. And that the main leadership turned corrupt, but they were the faithful ones. But there's a okay, few other yeah. groups. Yeah. Uh, Southern Boar's Lady says that it is always Serbia, um, which is right by USSR and Russia. So, um, it, you know, the, the Mormons had a similar problem because so prior to 1978, they didn't give any black people or anyone of African descent um, the priesthood or let them go through the temple to do all the stuff. Um, and they took the gospel to... West Africa and started baptizing loads of black people, but there wasn't enough white leadership to run all the wards. And the church knew that they couldn't keep baptizing all these black people because none of these black people could actually help with having like the callings you need to run a unit. So they pulled out and pulled the missionaries out, but then all of these black people still wanted the Mormon God and different things. So they just carried on themselves and had their own Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Nigeria. Um, so, yeah, similar thing. And then, like you say, when it comes back around 30 years later, it's changed yeah. so much in the main church. But these people have, have like looked after their teachings and, and followed everything so strictly for 30 years that the main church comes back around and it's totally different and they've apostatized. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I know it's like, they're just being honest and trying to follow what they think is right. You know, but they don't realize that they're actually apostatizing or, or, yeah. or they're thinking maybe the other side apostatized. So there's just like really confusing. And I think they were called truth, faith, Jehovah's witnesses. Okay. I think that's their actual name, yeah. And cool. yeah. Well, uh, today I was digging into some of the stats about where you grew up and where you kind of 
yeah, where you've been proselyting in the past. And we've got some stats right here for Logan and Ogden. So Logan, the percent religious in Logan was 92.3%. This is now, these figures are current 2022. So obviously when you were growing up, it was probably higher than that, I'd assume. So a very religious area. And Ogden, still 78%. Um, and then you, you come down and Jehovah's Witnesses do not even register on this list. Like I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I mean is like you were <laughs> that much of a minority. So 86.5% of the people that are religious in Logan are Mormons. And everyone uh, else. Can you say that number again? 86.5%. So. So that's what I grew up around. Yeah, that's nuts. Like Catholics, 3%, but then everyone else is sub 1%. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses proper, possibly come into the other Christian sects, which is 0.5% that you share with others. But yeah, so you were very much a minority because I don't want people to think like, oh, maybe it was just a, an area where there was a pocket of a bunch of Jehovah's Witnesses. And, you know, that was because for me, coming from a Mormon side of things, when I went to Utah and saw that there was like a Catholic church and a Baptist church, I was like, whoa, what's going on? You know, we don't let the enemy in. What are they doing here? There's only Mormon churches in Utah, um, but you there's not. There are many different uh, faiths and churches um, in the Salt Lake and the Utah Valley. So, yeah, yeah. like I would see a Mormon church in every corner of the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. I remember driving up the I-15. I was 15. My parents were driving. We were visiting. And we were driving to Canada, in fact, to Calgary. But we were driving north. We went through Salt Lake and then going out, we were looking off to the right because we were going north. And my dad said, count the spires. And yeah, I lost count. I was just like, wow. You know, you go past Ogden, keep on trucking past Logan, and it's just hundreds of them. Yeah, and it's like, you know, I already grew up in a bubble. I think it's safe to call it that because I was a Jehovah's Witness. So it's like I'm a bubble, but then when you live in like a town like Logan, it's like another bubble, you know, like you're very sheltered from like the rest of the world or what most people are like. And so it's like I was a bubble in another bubble. I was about to say the same thing about a bubble <laughs> within a bubble because when we get missionaries from Salt Lake, we say they let you out the bubble because obviously in Salt Lake's a different world. In U Utah is just a different world and parts of Idaho are the same. Um, and kind of that, that Wasatch front is just different rules apply. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. Um, but so were you born a Jehovah's Witness? Yes, you could say that. Yeah. Like, I was literally like following Jehovah's Witness teachings from the even before I was born, from the time I was born, you could say. Okay. <laughs> I know that sounds confusing. No, no. Okay. I think we're gonna get we're, we're gonna we're gonna get onto that now. Um, let me pull the presentation back up. For anyone out there who's watching, uh, we're gonna try and get 150 likes on this video, and if you can subscribe, that'd be great too. But let's get on with it. Um, so you sent me uh, some some facts from um, Jehovah's Witnesses. About... Well, just some quotes from the literature. Okay, yeah. About... You know, I didn't want to like say the wrong thing. No, no, it's fine. Uh, but so I just wanted it... to be accurate. Yeah. With what the literature actually says. And and I think Mormons are out there with the magazines and some of the things that they say. But this really kind of knocked me back about youths who put God first and put in these pictures of young people in the magazines and on the front of magazines and what, 
what happened to the how did they put god first well they put god first because they refused a blood transfusion and jehovah's witnesses believe that blood is sacred because it represents life and so that means blood is sacred and you're we are not allowed to put it in our veins or to take a blood transfusion although um many of the scriptures when talking about that you know it's in the mosaic law when it says not to eat blood yeah and then also in the new testament um it's repeated saying to abstain from blood you know he was referring to the eating of blood yeah you see i i used to have a jehovah's witness book of reasoning and in that book it it quotes i'm sure you've you've read it back to front anyway um but yeah that was my understanding that in the old testament it speaks about eating blood and the reasoning is that if you couldn't eat through your mouth you'd take it through a feeding tube and a, a tube into your vein is no different than a feeding tube would be to eat food so if you take it in through your vein you're eating the blood so yeah that's the, they use an illustration i don't know if the lds church uses a lot of illustrations in their yeah <laughs> teaching yeah. to say to prove a point or to say what they're teaching is true but the illustration that they use is that if a doctor tells you to abstain from alcohol then you wouldn't drink it right <laughs> well yeah but <laughs> but then that if if you if you wouldn't drink the alcohol then wouldn't you also not put it in your veins <laughs> that's yeah. the i don't know how does that sound to you hearing that I think, for the first time i think it, i think it's a stretch I think um, not to drink alcohol because you could use alcohol is useful for different things. It's like saying don't clean the wound with alcohol because the alcohol will be absorbed into your body. And that's the same as drinking alcohol, whereas it's not. It's being used for a different purpose. I think that's what's missing there, the purpose of the thing you're taking in i think they've they've painted the whole thing with a broad brush and said everything's the same yeah that's really interesting yeah i never heard it put that way you know i'm just used to hearing it from only one source but it's nice to hear a fresh take on it and like i mean i know that uh, many christians would disagree with child sacrifice you know, they're also against yeah. abortion. They believe that yeah. the Bible is against abortion, but for some reason, Jehovah's Witnesses view this this type of sacrifice as something you can't negotiate. Like, if you need blood, you cannot take it, even if it's for your child. Okay, so um, I guess with this whole thing, then this comes into your life at an early age because did you need a blood transfusion as a baby yes i did i was actually born three months early <laughs> some friends might laugh and say oh that explains a lot but <laughs> <laughs> but then i would just tell them well at least i have an excuse what's yours but yeah <laughs> fair enough <laughs> well i mean i wasn't talking about you personally i just meant i would if they brought that up to me i would say that back to them yeah all in fun. so what did you get a transfusion or what happened there because you're you're here with us so i'm assuming you did get a transfusion but if your family were witnesses at the time how did they go about that well um let's see um although i was raised in utah i was actually born in california and in the hospital that i was born in i was actually the first baby to receive a blood transfusion alternative in that hospital okay and so what that means is um well because of jehovah's witnesses you know refusing blood that's gotten tricky for a lot of professionals or do medical doctors so they've had to figure out ways to get around that and there's some things that they do like um like there's one thing like they gave me something called a erythropo erythropoietin which is a hormone 
which makes it so I reproduce blood at a faster rate okay. so instead of having to get blood from somewhere else. And so, I mean, there's a lot of different um, options that they have, but um, so yeah, I was the first baby to receive that alternative treatment and I survived. But in reality, um, it was actually a very serious situation because the doctors told my parents that if I didn't receive a blood transfusion, like I would die. Wow. And yeah, but be being Jehovah's witness, um, my parents, you know, they wanted, to, I mean, I would say they wanted to do what they believed, but they also kind of had to, they had to refuse a blood transfusion. Um, do you know why I say that? Go on. Well, I mean, although um, everything is a personal choice, it's supposed to be a personal choice, but like if a Jehovah's Witness receives blood or if they give their child blood, it's actually a disfellowshipping offense or a disassociation offense. And so what that means is if you're disassociated or disfellowshipped in that way, it's, you're, you're basically um, being excommunicated by your actions. And so, which means, um, you know, you're not allowed to talk to other Jehovah's Witnesses or you're shunned. Okay. And so, um, like, so it's like you have to choose between life or being shunned or, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's tough. And I think I've heard before, like, the church will, or they'll send people to the hospital to tell the doctor and to make sure there's no blood transfusion. Is that right? Or yeah. They have a, a blood liaison committee in the Jehovah's Witness religion. So basically every time a Jehovah's Witness has to go to the hospital or they're in a, an intense situation, they send three elders to make sure that they don't take blood. Oh my gosh. So it's like not, I mean, so not only do you see it in writing that you cannot receive a blood transfusion or you lose God's favor or you may not even be resurrected if, or you, you'll, but you're also receiving, um, pressure from other elders who are there to make sure that you're being faithful. And you so that's what? what happened with my parents too. But fortunately in, in my situation, I survived, you know, I mean, there is good science for alternative treatments, you know, that's good. Um, it doesn't work in all situations. In some situations, blood transfusions are the only thing that will save a person. Yeah. But I mean, but when I grew up, I always thought, well, they did what, you know, I believed that they did what God wanted. We did what was right. They did what was right. That's what I believed. And so I just thought to myself, oh, that's why I survived because we did what God wanted. But then I never thought about all the people who weren't lucky like I was, yeah, you know, I those who didn't make it like I did. You see, I don't think I could be one of the elders that goes to the hospital and stands there and like says no blood and then watches the person die. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a really the, hard job. Yeah. When the doctor comes and says, look, we need to give him four pints of blood or whatever, or he's going to die. And then they say, no, you can't give him any. And the doctor's just like, I'm sure there are some doctors who would be like pulling their hair out and saying, are you kidding me? You know, this, I can save this person, but you're you who you may not even know this person you're just gonna say no i i couldn't do that that's yeah yeah and, but like but when i've asked people that have dealt with that situation they just said they you know they just knew in their heart that that everything would be okay you know they felt like they just trust the leader you know they trust the leaders they trust god they trust yeah, the ones who are there, you know, and so it's kind of, I don't know if it's like tunnel vision or what you want to call it, but. So you, you were born in California as a Jehovah's witness. You, 
were three months early and you had all these medical, um, I guess, emergencies that the hospital got around. And for me, when I hear that, I'm like, it's so silly that the hospital found a workaround and the, the church were just like, hey, yeah, that's fine. Just go with that. It, it's something else. It doesn't say blood. He can just take that. Because I think, did they, did they look into every medication to see what it is and check the ingredients of the medication against the Bible? to make sure, you know, I'm sure there's no one that's sat and gone through every pharmaceutical in the world. They just go with blood when there might be things that contain whatever it is in blood that is the problem. I don't know. I just think it's, it's very yeah, prescriptive. I mean, it's, um, it, it can turn very legalistic because mm -hmm. if a, Jeho if a Jehovah's Witness really wanted to, then they can become consumed with this teaching that, you need to follow it by the letter and you check all the ingredients and every, all the food and all the medications, if it has blood or not, which most people don't do. Most Jehovah's Witnesses don't do that either. Yeah. Um, and then, but then, you know, everyone has their own consciences and then they can impose their conscience on other people's conscience. Like, Oh, how could you do that? How could you eat that? That has yeah. blood in it. Yeah. But it's also kind of ironic though, that like, I guess breast milk has more white blood cells than blood. So yeah. when a, a woman is giving breast milk to their baby, it's like they're basically giving them a blood transfusion. Yeah, they're yeah. giving them blood in yeah. the milk. You know, so, dairy milk has white blood cells in the store. Yeah. Okay. So random question then, because this one's, this is just the one uh, that came to mind. Steak. How do you take your steak? Do you have to have it well done? Or because I see some people, they have their steak like blue, you know, just sear it on either side and throw it on the plate. And uh, it could even, it still moves, you know, because it's like raw, you know, and there's still blood coming out of it. And that's literally eating blood. So would they go as far as, you know, talking about raw foods and different things? Um, they have, <laughs> um, there's actually a, a, a watchtower article. It's an older one, but it, it was a question from readers and it basically asked, is it okay to give your dog a blood transfusion or give your dog dog food that contains blood or to use manure that contains blood when you're farming? And the answer to those questions, as it goes into the article, is basically no. And then they give wow. their scriptural reasonings, and they quote scriptures, and then they give illustrations or whatever. And so, yeah, you're not allowed to do any of those things. But I think most Jehovah's Witnesses today probably don't even remember that article, or they weren't alive back then. So they wouldn't know that's a technical, technically that's a teaching, that you can't give your dog blood in their food like raw meat <laughs> or whatever, however you want to classify it. Okay, um, we're getting. Even the rarest of reddest of steaks is actually bloodless. Instead, what you are looking at is a combination of water and a protein found in the muscle tissue called myoglobin. Okay, Sarah for Storms, I, every day is a school day. Um, I always thought I mean, it was... Yeah, I think that's true. Thank you for that. But I guess there's some dog... I don't know if it was just in the past, but before they used to make dog food that did have blood in it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, or maybe it didn't, but they, they published that article anyway. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, speaking of the legalistic, so these are, again, we've just seen these uh, little excerpts, but the one that I want to read is up here on the right. In former times, thousands of youths died for putting God first. They are still doing it, only today the drama is played out in hospitals and courtrooms with blood transfusion, the issue. And uh, I just think the fact that they they fight all the way to court and, yeah, it's, it's beyond me. It is beyond me. But we'll, we'll move on because I think we could talk about that all night. Yeah, um, but before you move on, I just want to say, though, like – 
I do appreciate my parents for doing what they think is right or what they believed was yeah. was good or the right yeah. thing to do. Yeah. You know, I don't hold any thing against them for that. No. And I, I, I've said the same thing before about my parents. Uh, I don't agree with the way they live their life and they don't agree with the way I, I live my life, but I think they did the best they could with the paradigm they were living in. Um, and that we all, that's what we all do. We educate our children, um, as best we can. So if, if that's the world that we live in, then that's, you know, how it goes. Um, someone's asking how many members, uh, would there be at your kingdom hall? Carby Carby, we're not going to go into where the kingdom hall is because, Oh yeah. well, I, um, I actually, I don't even attend anymore. Like I am not an, an active member. I do not participate in the preaching work or associate with the congregation. Yeah. But, um, I mean, in general though, I could tell you how many members each kingdom halls have. Yeah. About. So like, I don't, in Utah, um, there might be one kingdom hall in, in every town, like main town. Yeah. N not like little towns. Mm -hmm. So in every main town, there'll be at least one kingdom hall, Bluetooth maybe two. Bluetooth connected. Yeah. And, and, and then, how... and each one might have, um, anywhere from 60 to 200 members <laughs> Wow! But in the English congregations. A lot of them were around the hundred range in the Spanish. Okay. It's like double. Wow. So when you grew up in, so you, you moved from California to Utah. What, how did you get to Utah? Well, well, my parents, um, they actually visited Utah before, let's see, when I was a baby or when I was a, like, like three years old, maybe two years old. And they, their, their purpose for visiting was to do unassigned territory. They went there to basically preach where the need is great because there okay. were so few Jehovah's Witnesses. And so it was like them and a group of brothers and sisters from California. And then they go cover the territory and try to convert people. Yeah. So they were sent to the front lines. And, but they loved it so much. And they said, wow, what a beautiful little paradise <laughs> or what a nice area. And people are nice. Well, most people are not. Nice. They said they saw or experienced some racism. I mean, we don't, you don't see it as much in Utah now, but I mean, back then more so. What's, but, what, What's your ethnicity? Oh, I'm Mexican-American. Okay, so you would have been a Lamanite. Um, <laughs> I know what a Lamanite means, but I don't know what you mean by that. Okay, so in the Mormon church, um, everyone, all indigenous peoples of the Americas, Pacific Islands, like New Zealand, stuff like that, all the Maoris, Samoa, Mexico, oh, okay. Guatemala, all those people were Lamanites, and that's one of the nations in the Book of Mormon, the evil nation, and their oh. skin. Their skin was like Cain. Their skin was marked as the evil people, and that's why indigenous peoples in the Americas have a darker skin than the white Europeans that came and ruined everything. Okay, I see. So Yeah, um, so I mean... But Jehovah's Witnesses actually have that in their history as well, which okay. was a big surprise to me. But if you look in the older literature, um, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, Charles Taser Russell, he actually taught that blacks, black people were, they came, they come from Cain. Yeah. So the black curse from Cain. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. or not Cain. Was it um, one of his Cain. sons? Yeah. Cain. And then, the next president, Joseph Rutherford, taught that as well. I mean, I don't know for how long, but he did teach that as well. Yeah. Well, we had the same thing. That's why Africans weren't allowed um, to hold the priesthood until Brigham Young taught that uh, African people would one day hold the priesthood 
but not until all the other white sons of Adam had had the opportunity to hold the priesthood. So when in 1978, when they kind of said, okay, everyone can have the priesthood now, um, every, a lot of people were shocked, um, especially in like Southern congregations where there were still lots of racial issues and kind of giving these black people the priesthood was elevating them to the same level as the white priesthood holders. So I know a lot of people kind of went their own way uh, when that happened. And yeah, but it's, it's, it's just kind of interesting to see how like, as religion moves forward in the stream of time, they adapt to the, the new morality or the new standards, yeah. you know, instead of the other way around, like when, when people start, you know, having more um, rights for black people or for women or for, uh, you know, different groups, then I don't know if it's because of pressure or what, but they start to make those changes in the religion as well. Yeah. We find that once the, once the money starts being affected, then the church changes its mind. So the whole polygamy thing in Utah, um, the, the U S government was basically, you know, getting ready to take possession of all church property. And I think, I think at one point they did, and the church had to like rent it back because they were like, look, if you're not going to stop it, we're going to use our government rights to, commandeer all of this stuff as a punishment until you stop um and yeah so that stopped polygamy and then with the whole race thing it was uh the tax exempt status of the church so there was a threat yeah. to the tax exempt status of the church unless they got on board with the equal rights movement so they got on board with it and they kept their money a similar you see um it wasn't until I became inactive as Jehovah's Witness or that I stopped attending that I started researching a lot of things that I didn't know, you know, like, yeah. like they're not lies. This is just facts or, you know, it's part of history, you know, there's, but some things that I learned, one thing I learned was that in, so the Jehovah's Witness church, they used to charge for all their literature. I was too young to remember that, but they used to charge and so they would, the members would have to buy the magazines or the books and then they would sell them for more. And, wow. but it's been, it was like that from the very beginning with Charles Taze Russell and Ruth, and then the second president and the third president and so forth. But, but then one day they get an announcement saying we want, we think people should receive spiritual food for free, you know, not having to pay any money. You know, just like the Bible says. But the thing that kind of troubled me was finding out that the reason they made that change was because of they didn't want to lose their tax exemption status. Yeah. The government was starting to crack down on religions um, that were charging for literature. Um, so there was actually a court case with Jimmy Swagger. He was a televangelist, but he would sell his books. And the Watchtower organization joined, um, was it, they basically uh, were a friend of the court, whatever that means. Like, okay. They, so yeah, so, but because Jimmy Swagger lost, the Watchtower had to change it to free as wow. well. Yeah, because what, what are you doing for the world if your teaching isn't free? If, if your basic teaching isn't free then you are a business it's like it's like someone doing like a, a a positive thinking seminar like if their thing is business coaching okay and saying everyone can come it's 30 dollars in okay that's a business but if they said if they rephrased it to i'm going to tell everyone how to live a good life and give people these skills for free then they could probably register as a charity and they wouldn't have to pay tax on the work that they do there and on the donations that they get. But at the point that you start charging up front to come inside, I'm like, that's not yeah. a donation. That's 
Yeah. But one, although I guess one good thing about Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't have a tithing. They, um, they say it's all, you just give what you can. Wow. And, but I don't know, like, it seems like sometimes they have monthly, um, like, I don't know, maybe you don't use the word tithing, but they have like agreements Okay. with each family, how much money they want to give or can okay. give. And, you know, and then they expect an answer so they can know how much you're going to give every month. Or they'll say like, well, to, depending on the size of your congregation, we think it should be $8 per publisher. And so eight times however many people in the congregation, that's how much you need to give. Per month? Per month. But, I mean, it, it can vary number of, you know, the number. Dude, $8? I would have snapped your hands I know. off at $8. <laughs> I, I was, you might I was, as well not call it. Yeah, I was paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars, you know. I was like, I'd pay my mortgage, then I'd pay the same to my tithing. And you're like, oh my gosh, I could have two houses, but I was building my house in heaven. <laughs> That's the whole thing of it. Oh, crazy. So, well, the Mormon church, everyone's a little bit up in, up in arms. One, because the Mormon church has like, I think it was quoted $150 billion in stocks and shares or something like that. And that's not even all the other crap they own and money in the bank. That's just one particular um, fund called Enzyme Peak, which the church runs um, and where they put all of their, they put all of their donations there. Um, and well, no, they put some of their donations, whatever they've got left over at the end of the year from tithing, they put into this fund and yeah, it just grows and grows and grows, but they make members clean the chapels because they can't afford cleaners. They used to have cleaners, like one member in the ward would be employed to be the cleaner. And then they sacked them all because they couldn't afford them. Um, and just crap like that. But do you have like a meeting once a year with the, with the elder to decide what your payment is going to be and to look back at what payments you've made and whether you fulfilled your previous commitment? Not really. I mean, they don't really, I mean, it could depend. It might just depend on the elders. You know, some are more into people's business than others. <laughs> I don't know, but, um, oh, man. It, yeah, it could just depend on the congregation, but I mean, they will talk to you and ask how much you can give. Yeah. And, or they'll read a, a letter saying, um, um, like we want everyone to give X amount per month, but there might be different funds. You know, the $8 might be for this fund and then a different amount might be for a different fund. Yeah. And then another amount for another fund. And then it all adds up, but no, absolutely. So then, <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we'd get, but they don't check on you really. No Mormons. You get called in once a year. You used to get called in for something called tithing settlement where the Bishop just kind of gives you your statement like a bank statement for the year and says does that represent a full and honest tithe and you say yes and leave whereas just yeah. this week they've changed it to tithing declaration where the whole family even the children in the in the picture they've put on as you say they like illustrations there's the bishop and then there's kids with their money boxes like little piggy banks and stuff um going into the bishop's office so the tithing declaration is not just to check that they're paying right but to teach them and to teach the children the principle of tithing and to have the children be paying as well where my yeah, my wife yeah. yeah my wife said uh isn't the money that the children get from the parents being double tithe then because the parents <laughs> have already paid tithing on that pretty much you know you wouldn't double tax yourself so yeah, I'm glad that they didn't we didn't have a tithing or because yeah. I can tell you I was really poor. And <laughs> I always felt bad or guilty that I didn't give more. Okay. But, I mean that's I don't know, it's kinda how I felt. Yeah. And like and we you know, we would hear talks all the time or announcements or letters, you know, saying, How much can you give to Jehovah? Can you give to Jehovah? Oh, remember the the widow who put the two cents in the box or whatever. the widow's mind you know like but you hear things like that 
constantly or all the time. So it makes you feel like you need to give more or if you can't give more then can you reevaluate it? Isn't it funny how it always comes down to money? I know. It's funny. It's crazy. Like there's even like, um, is it, we have some cartoons for children that are, you know, showing the children, putting money in the contribution. And <laughs> so, I mean, they, they don't, that's their way of getting children to put money in. I told my 10 year old daughter, we were talking about this last night. Cause I said, if you're part of any group that tells you, you can't think what you want to think or that tells you that to think for yourself, you have to pay money to them or they promise you something that can't be proven like beyond this life and you have to pay the money. I said, run away. And they were like, what do you mean? I was like, well, if someone tells you, you have to pay this money or you won't go to heaven, then that's not a good organization. And my little girl just said, well, yeah, cause that's blackmail, right? And I'm like, yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, tithing, money. So you're in Utah now as a kid and at school, how was like high school as, or even middle school, wherever, as a Jehovah's Witness amongst all of those Mormons? Uh, well, at first, I mean, it didn't really bother me because I felt like there was a lot of Jehovah's Witness youth in the congregation. Okay. And so I felt like I had friends and I wasn't left out. You know, I had things to do, but there were other JW youths or people younger than me, or they didn't have people their age. <laughs> and so it, they probably felt left out. Yeah. And did they, did you ever like, do any boy scouts or anything like that because i know the mormons are big into the boy scouts there and all the local troops are mormon troops were there any like non-mormon boy scout troops uh I don't, jehovah's witnesses um yeah they discourage association with anyone who's not a jehovah's witness okay so yeah no. including <laughs> boys and then i don't know they would always i didn't really know what boy scouts was and then they would just tell me oh it's just some mormon thing so we don't do it <laughs> okay yeah, yeah, yeah i don't know just... but i don't know if is there boy scouts outside of utah or i don't know is it a mormon yeah thing yeah it... no no it's not it's just just in like utah and idaho and stuff there are so many mm. mormons and they had like an official relationship with the boy scouts of america that they discontinued a few years ago when the boy scouts were going through the whole like sex abuse um trials and stuff so they they discontinued their affiliation again because of the money because obviously you know they might get dragged into this whole sex abusing they're being dragged into it now because people are coming forward and yeah no like yeah. here in the here in the uk we have boy scouts and there are no moments like to go to boy scouts really so you it's just a normal like run of the mill thing and the rest of the, the rest of the states outside of like the Mormon kind of heartland will just be normal boy scouts. So, yeah. And I don't know. And it just depends on each Jehovah's Witness family, like whether they let their children play with non JW kids or not. But for the most part, um, at least at a certain age, like the older you get, the more it's going to be enforced. But when you're younger, it may not be as enforced as much. But, but like in high school, um, I didn't really, I didn't really hang out with anyone. I mean, there was a two, two or three, four LD, LDS boys that I sometimes play basketball with. But other than that, yeah, I didn't, I didn't go to any parties or, anything like that to people or nothing. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I was kind of, I was kind of, I don't know. That seems quite So it kind of leaves me out isolated. Like, I don't know how to talk to other people. So if there's anyone that knows me and wonders why I'm awkward, <laughs> it's cause I'm not used to talking 
or I grew up that way. I don't know. Or maybe I'm just but, using it as an excuse. Well, no, you're doing great. Uh, well, so I have this, this problem that I think you may have that I think all of us who have kind of stepped back from our communities that when you go to a new area, okay, we moved house a couple of hundred miles, but there was the local congregation. And in the local congregation was a group of ready-made friends who already had massive things in common with you because they were living their life in accordance with that religion. And, you know, almost assigned friends sometimes where the bishop would say, you know, you're a young married couple and a new young married couple's moving into the ward. Can you make sure they're okay? Can you kind of not follow them, but can you, can you invite them into your home and make them feel welcome and different things and fellowship them? And I think, yeah, I think it's the same. I think high demand religion kind of makes us socially uh, almost deficient when we step back from that community because how do you go and find new friends if it's not at church? You know what I mean? Or if you don't have the church thing in common, you know? Yeah. Like, do you just go down to the bar and say to someone, hey, you look fun. <laughs> uh, let's let's uh, play. Are you coming out to play? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to do it. Like, I've met also a few you, people. Also, you, you as well. Oh, yeah, okay. I've met a few people. And, like, on, on online, I meet people. Um but we've kind of got the ex-Mormon thing in common. So that's another big thing you can talk about. But when, when I meet people out who sometimes have never even heard of a Mormon, it's like trying to find the common ground can be difficult. Yeah, I mean, but some, I mean, some JWs, youth, teenagers, or young people, they're just naturally can get along with people, you know, or maybe they're outgoing. So it doesn't matter what religion you are or what, I mean, they can do it, but I guess for me, it wasn't that way. Okay. Well, and yeah. I remember, uh, Oh, I remember my younger brother one time, he wanted to hang out with some, L some kid from school and his parents told him, no, they're not Mormon. He's not Mormon. So he can't hang out with, with you. Yeah, I'd, I'd Is that get, common? Yeah, I would get, um, I'd get other, other kids who weren't religious, their parents say to their kids, they couldn't hang out with me because I was Mormon. Because over here, like, being a Mormon's a bit weird. And, you know, there's a whole rumor that there's a tunnel from Liverpool to Salt Lake where they steal all your daughters and take them as polygamous wives to Utah. Um, uh, yeah, like people look down on Mormons here, whereas I guess you had the reverse there. But yeah, it's 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 totally. Stupid. Oh yeah, like if you're not LDS and when you grow up, sometimes it could be challenging, you know, and because either you're being judged or you're being smothered with kindness or you're trying to be converted or they're bearing your testimony on you like every day, or um. Mm. <laughs> um, or what, me and my family imagine. were eating in a restaurant one time and this lady comes up to us and says oh you look like such a nice family are you guys LDS <laughs> <laughs> like that's what makes us nice is because we're LDS you know yeah no you'd have to be because she probably thinks oh I can speak I can see the spirit of Jesus in their eyes they must be LDS <laughs> yeah no that's crazy um what well, did you so over here in high school and stuff you have to do religious education where you have mandatory classes and you go through all the world religions and learn about things um in order to you know bring that diversity into your life uh, and i know in utah obviously the kids can take seminary class and go to like the seminary building or the seminary classroom in the high school. Um, but yeah. did you, did you do any religious education at school? Um, like you mean a Jehovah's witness seminary or do you mean just religious class at school or what do you mean? 
Yeah, like a, a class at school like, called RE, religious education, or something. I didn't like even that. realize that th there is a class like that in schools. Okay. But yeah. I, do, I do know Mormons had a seminary. Yeah. I didn't so know I was, if that was just a Utah thing. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, but Utah, Idaho, maybe some in Arizona, that kind of area uh, where there's high Mormon population, they'll have the school will let them out for seminary. But over here in the UK, to do it, we used to have to do it at 6.30 every morning um, before school. So we do 6.30 to 7.30 and then go to school. Um, well, I mean, was, you know, I, la I learned about like Buddhism or like just main religions or in school. I mean, in school, but I don't think it was like an actual religion class. Okay. But because yeah, I, I was going to say that that could probably be like conflicting because why would the state want to teach all of these Mormon kids that there were other religions out there when they're wanting them to be Mormons, if you know what I mean? So do, do LDS youth take a religion class in school or something? Or are you saying they uh, just no, go they, to seminary and that counts they, as their religion? Yeah, class? they just go to seminary. But I didn't know if other than that, like the kids who didn't go to seminary had a separate class at school. Oh, no. It, it would just go into a different category like history or... Okay. Um, but not a religion... I don't know, just some other category. Yeah. So my, uh, so over here you do RE as a, a class, like a mandatory class once a Is week. Is it LDS run or? No, no, there's, there's. Oh, okay. It's just a nationwide curriculum thing. So you learn about Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, Islam, and everything. Okay, you but, but you live in United Kingdom or where do you live? Yeah. Yeah, in the, in so the it's UK. So things are probably different over there. Yeah, yeah. So okay, my, okay, yeah. <laughs> my wife being raised Mormon, she, her, her mother wouldn't let her go to Ari, which is the religious oh. education class, because she said, oh, she knows it already. She doesn't need it. And you can kind of object. And the kid just goes to, like, the library for the hour and then carries on with their day. But I didn't know if there was uh, something over there where, you know, that happened. Because I can imagine if you've got Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses in RE and they start talking about Christianity, um, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna conflict over some of the details. Yeah, like, okay, so I'm under the impression, okay, because over here, I, w I would always run into LDS moms preaching on, you know, and, and they would say like, oh, yeah. We, we encourage our kids to learn about all the religions and yeah. we've is that like not true? No, they might, you know, and say, look at all these other crazy people. We're not crazy. That's what yeah. they'll say. Jehovah's Witnesses have a book called Mankind's Search for God. And it's basically a book that goes into all the different religions and it explains why every religion is false and why ours is the true one when you compare them all. Wow. <laughs> so that's our religious studies class, awesome. I guess. Yeah, put everyone else down. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so you, when did, when did you start like knocking on doors? When did you start uh, preaching for Jehovah's Witnesses? How old were you? Uh, so Jehovah's Witnesses believe that every member is a minister, which is someone who teaches or preaches. Before so, you go on, before you go on in the Mormon church, oh, it's so crazy. <laughs> we believe that every member is a missionary <laughs> is exactly the same phrase. Oh, every, really? mem every member, a missionary and you are every minister. It's crazy how like the two, <laughs> two uh, opposed like, high demand religions but they've got so much in common anyway go on sorry and then um let's see what was i gonna say oh so every member it's it's actually kind of weird in the conversion process if or someone starts studying with jehovah's witnesses before they even get baptized they expect you to go preaching with them publicly before yeah, you I decide to get baptized so and if you're not doing that 
going preaching with them door to door, then they won't let you get baptized. They say, well, if you want to get baptized, you need to come with us door to door. That's crazy because uh, I couldn't imagine taking, uh, like, we call them investigators, taking an investigator door to door to knock on doors with us because I'd be too scared that the person behind the door would tell my investigator something about polygamy or something about Joseph Smith, just something that would put them off because yeah. they're so f few and far between that I would like wrap them up and keep them like insulated. I would, I'd be like, don't go on the internet and search for things. You know, it's all, it's all misquoted, taken out of context or lies. You know, don't, the internet's evil. Don't do that. I mean, there was no internet, you know, years ago. So like, yeah, yeah. Uh, so usually if you start studying with Jehovah's Witnesses, like it's very common that like they won't even like there's a book that they study before you have to get baptized. And it's very common that the person before they even finish the book, maybe they're only halfway through or so many chapters in and they're already going out in service with them before they get baptized. That's amazing. Like, 